Good morning, church in the foyer. <laughs> well, if you have your Bibles, we are finished with the book of Revelation. And so I've been praying about where we're going to go next. And so the Lord has laid on my heart the book of Habakkuk. And so uh, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and, and uh, get, uh, this brother will get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Kevin, I don't know why your name skipped my mind for a minute, Kevin. <laughs> Known him for years. It's like, yeah, this guy. Uh, uh. As you're turning to the book of Habakkuk, it's sandwiched between Nahum and Zephaniah, the fifth book in from the end of the Old Testament, maybe blow off the, the dust off of there. Some pronounce it Habakkuk. Some pronounce it Habakkuk. I'm told from our in-house linguistics expert, Pastor Bruce, that the proper pronunciation is Habakkuk. I'll probably use all three this morning as we talk about them. Either way, it sounds like a cat coughing up a fur ball. I don't know. (sighs) Maybe I'll just call him Habby. I don't know. However we say his name, this message is as relevant today as it was when it was first written. So the title of my message this morning is From Fear to Faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together to be in your word, knowing, Holy Spirit, that you are here to teach us and instruct us in all things. Lord, to change us and to draw us closer in our relationship with you. Lord, to increase our faith that as we leave this place today, we are stronger in our faith than when we first walked in, and we are more in love with you than when we first walked in. And Father, we do pray if there's anyone here that has joined us, that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you this morning, that they would do so today, that they would uh, turn from their sin and turn to you in faith this morning. So bless our time together, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, the book of Habakkuk is one of the most relevant books, I believe, for the times in which we are living in today. This little book opens in gloom and closes in glory. It begins with a question mark and it closes with an exclamation point. It's a lot like this video I want to show you this morning. Don't be shocked. Wait, let's start it over again so we have the sound. Because without the music, just a mouse, but not just an ordinary mouse.
<laughs> Thus my title, From Fear to, to Faith, I guess it fits. I, I don't know. I just, uh, no matter how many times you get knocked down in life, get back up again. Um, is that a good, good, it's, I just thought the video was funny, and so, but anyway. <laughs> Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, is really the background of this message. The just shall live by faith. It begins with fear, and it ends with faith. A strong faith. Now, very little is known concerning the personal background of Habakkuk. In fact, nothing is known at all. We know nothing about his background. There are indications from the book itself that he was of the priestly family, perhaps one of the priests in Israel, because he addresses in the last chapter, he writes a psalm, he addresses it to the chief singer on my stringed instrument. And that was usually the responsibility of a priest that God had called him for the purpose of providing music for in the temple. So he could have been one of the temple priests. We don't know. What we do know is that Zephaniah and Nahum and Habakkuk all have a couple things in common. They're all uh, giving us different facets of how God deals with mankind. And number two, they all come from the same approximate time period. This places them between the, the, the reigns of King Josiah and Jehoiakim at the same time of Jeremiah the prophet. You see, the northern kingdom had already gone into captivity. Now the southern kingdom was right on the verge of captivity. Because after good kings decided, every king after him in the southern kingdom was a bad king. And things went from bad to worse. And Nahum and Habakkuk and Zephaniah all fit into this period of decline, shouting, saying, turn from your ways, repent, uh, you know, turn back to the Lord. Now, although there are similarities in these books, they offer also differ from one another. Nahum dealt only with Nineveh and the capital city of Assyria, uh, the Assyrian Empire. Nahum showed that, that God is just, righteous, and a God of love, yet he was also absolutely right in judging the city. Now we have Habakkuk. On the other hand, he approaches the problem from a little different viewpoint. Habakkuk is a man with questions. He's disturbed about God's seemingly indifference towards the iniquity, towards the sin that he sees going around uh, with his own people. And of course, Habakkuk is prophesying of the coming invasion, the coming captivity, uh, and how God's going to use this as a rod of correction for the people of Israel. Now, if you're taking notes, we're going to see three things this morning. Number one, the complaint. Number two, the conquerors. And number three, the comfort. Number one, the complaint. Habakkuk begins with a cry out to the Lord. Look at verses 1 and 2. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence, and you will not save. Now, Habakkuk had a very beautiful relationship with God. The word Habakkuk means embracer. And Habakkuk embraced the Lord, and was embraced by the Lord. And he begins with a, a prayer but within that prayer, there's a complaint. Because what Habakkuk saw was violence all around. What then the violence led to fear. And fear had gripped the land, which then led to frustration. You know, there are many people today that are living in fear and frustration. COVID has proven this. I am sorry, but when I see people driving around in their car 
by themselves with all their windows rolled up and they have a mask on. I think, man, fear has struck that person. Or you see someone walking down the street all by themselves, beautiful day like today, with a mask on. And you're going, really? Is someone going to jump out of the car and give you COVID? I mean, what is going on? And then now the vaccine has brought a whole new set of fears. I read in the first 30 days of these shots that they had over 40,000 adverse effects reported from the Vaccine Adverse Event Database, 3,100 cases of anaphylactic shock, over 5,000 neurological reactions ranging from headaches to numbness to abnormal sensations of the skin, dizziness, vertigo, feeling like you can't feel your hands or your feet, all in just the first 30 days. On top of that, the shots administered in the United States from December 14, 2020 through May 3, 2021 shows that there has been 4,178 deaths among people who received it. So there's fear if you get the vaccine. There's fear if you don't get the vaccine. There's fear over making the decision whether you should get the vaccine or not get the vaccine. Then you have fear that China is going to do it all again and, and create some other form of, of virus and, and, and affect the whole world. Then, let's add the fear of terrorism. We saw this last couple weeks ago. The Colonial Pipeline runs for 5,500 miles on the East Coast, provides fuel for the East Coast, was shut down by terrorism. Fear. As I said, fear has many companions. Frustration is another one. You know, Habakkuk was frustrated about the moral conditions of the nation that he saw around him. The people had turned their backs on God. They had forsaken the law of the Lord. As a result, violent crimes were becoming commonplace. He would get up in the morning and turn on the news. Well, they didn't have TV back then, but he would open up his window, look out his window, and all he would see was sin and violence. And sadly, that's what we're seeing today in America. Last year, the United States tallied more than 20,000 murders, the highest total since 1995, and 4,000 more than in 2019. And so Habakkuk here in verse 2 is crying out to the Lord, How long, Lord, shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. You can sense his frustration. He's crying out to the Lord, but he's not hearing anything from the Lord. Nothing's happening that's causing any real change, and that brings that frustration and complaint. Habakkuk is crying to the Lord, but the Lord is silent. I think we've all experienced that in our lifetimes at one time or another, where you're crying out to the Lord and you're seeking the Lord, and, and it seems like the Lord is silent, that nothing seems to be happening. And we ask ourselves the questions, why? Why are you not listening, Lord? And God doesn't seem to be listening. Verse 3 says, Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. In our times that when we, we pray, we feel like God is not listening. But we need to know there are reasons why God is silent at times. Let me give you a few. One reason could be there's, there's sin. There could be sin in your life. David wrote this in, in Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 59, 2. It's your sin that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. King Saul went through a time when he did not hear from God. Saul used to be able to ask God questions and, and God would respond either through a priest or, or, or a prophet. 
But towards the end of his life, he was living in such rebellion against God that God simply would not answer him. In fact, 1 Samuel 28, 6 says, He asked the Lord what he should do, but the Lord refused to answer him, either by dreams or by sacred lots or by the prophets. Why? He wasn't right with God. There was sin in his life, and it hindered his prayer life. So that was the reason why God was silent. Maybe another reason God may be silent in your life when we pray is because there's a spiritual battle taking place. Spiritual warfare. We might not often think about it, but we are surrounded by a multitude of invisible beings called angels. While we live in a world that's visible to our eyes, they live in a world that's not necessarily observable by human beings. The prophet Daniel had been fasting and praying over his people, the nation of Israel, for three weeks. He wasn't getting any answers from God. And then he gets this angelic uh, uh, being appears and tells Daniel in Daniel 10, 12 through 14, don't be afraid. He says, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I've come in to answer your prayer. But, he says, for 21 days the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. The Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. So sometimes our prayers are not answered because there is a spiritual battle taking place around us. God has sent his angel to answer, and there's a fight going on that we can't see. Now that doesn't mean we need to stop praying. That doesn't mean we need to quit. But I think the most common reason that we believe that God seems silent when we pray is because he's wanting us to walk by faith and not by sight, as we'll see in a moment. To wait on him to move in our lives. Here Habakkuk was frustrated by all that he saw going on around him, added to the fact that it seemed like God wasn't paying attention to what was going on. And he's complaining, and he says, There's plundering and violence are before me, there's strife and contention. And to make matters worse, verse 4 says, Therefore the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Wow. Sounding familiar. In other words, the law enforcement agencies were not able to keep up with the rising crime rate. There was not even a diligent attempt to enforce the laws in many areas because the problem of lawlessness had become so great that they would stay away from certain areas. (laughs) Still sounding very familiar uh, for us. It's interesting that the Hebrew word powerless there in verse 4 literally means paralyzed. The law is paralyzed, moans Habakkuk. There's a breakdown in the judicial system. True justice was not being served. If a criminal was apprehended, he would usually get off with such a light sentence that there was no real deterrent from crime. Do you know today that, that before criminals executed, the average capital offender in this country will spend 22 years in legal procedures at a cost of $2 million. So if a guy kills someone, and, and it will cost our government $2 million in 22 years of legal hoops before he actually is executed for his crime. Between 2008 and 2017, Louisiana spent over $15.6 million each year to maintain its capital punishment system. Our system is paralyzed. How do we fix it? Well, in California, the governor there is going to give an early release to 76,000 inmates. 
including violent and repeat felons, in order to cut down the number of inmates in the California prisons. Yeah, that's going to fix everything. Our judicial system is not functioning. It's not working. It's paralyzed. In Habakkuk's time, like ours, there was a breakdown of social order. The forces of wickedness prevailed over the righteous and therefore perverse judgments are being made. In other words, the wicked gain control of the government and they're writing their own laws. The new law, it's okay to do whatever your evil heart desires. On top of the fact that the legislation seems to favor the wicked and punish the righteous if they sought to stand up against the wickedness that they see. Man, if that doesn't describe our society today, then I don't know what does. We're living in a critical race theory, cancel culture, woke, Black Lives Matter world that dictates that we have to agree with all they stand for. Otherwise, we are horrible human beings. We're racist, we're bigots, and we're full of hate speech. Critical race theory presupposes that everything about American society is thoroughly racist and minority groups will never be equal until American society is entirely reformed. From a political standpoint, critical race theory closely aligns with communism and Marxism. Cancel culture, you've heard of this too. No longer free speech in America. It's a modern social attitude that says we will silence you if you disagree us through public shaming. We're going to silence you through boycotting. We're going to silence you through, through firing, through bankrupting. You or what you have to say will be canceled out. How about the woke thing? That's a fairly modern term that has come to mean conscious of injustice in society. Sounds good. A woke person is especially attentive to racial discrimination and the issues surrounding it. But here's my point. I believe all of these so-called moves for justice and equality are all just a path for their true agenda. And that's the acceptance of and approval of homosexuality, sexual immorality in our nation. And they're using it as, a, as racism as the tool to get it accepted. For example, Black Lives Matter as an example. Of course Black Lives Matter. Of course racism is so wrong. And there is racism in America today. What kind of Christian isn't against racism? But if you go to BLM's website, it's not about black lives. It's about homosexuality being accepted today in our culture. Then we have the whole gender identity push that's taken over America. Our schools are being indoctrinated. The media is indoctrinating us with it. It's out of control. It's shaping the minds of adults and children alike. We've seen the use of their propaganda so they can form the opinions of the masses. So our judicial system is not working the way it was meant to. History shows that any society, any culture, uh, a country cannot deal with its infection quickly and effectively like a human body. It will die of that infection. So we're seeing the same thing that went on in Habakkuk's time and our time today. In Habakkuk, for him, he's seeing what seems to be that God's own law seemed powerless to affect society. The wicked are prospering. The righteous are coming under attack. They're being punished. And I think as Christians, we could cry out as Habakkuk did in verse 2, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear. Now there's one thing worse than the silence of God and the feeling that God is not doing anything, and that is not understanding what God is doing when He begins to work, when He begins to move. See, Habakkuk thought God was being insensitive, indifferent, and wasn't working and didn't hear, but, but that wasn't anything like that. That wasn't the truth. God always hears. God is never indifferent 
never insensitive, and will always remain holy. The problem is, many times we become frustrated because we look around and we see what's going on around us and we want God to work and move in a certain way that fits our plan. And if He doesn't work that way, then we become frustrated with God. God, how come you didn't do what I thought you should do in this situation here? God, how come you're not listening to me? This is what you need to do. But you see, Habakkuk was about to learn what we as Christians should already know. And that is, we're not to walk by sight. We're not to walk by what we're seeing around us. We're to walk by faith, our faith in God and Him alone. He was going to learn how to walk by faith. Look at verse 5. God does answer Habakkuk, and He says to him in verse 5, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. He says, I'm going to do a work, but you're not going to believe it. (laughs) See, here the prophet is crying out, God, how come you're not doing anything? God answers, I'm doing something, and if I told you, you'd never believe it. Now, through the prophet Isaiah, God has declared in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts. I'm convinced that God's ways are always always better than my ways, and His ways are always wiser than my ways. And I don't always understand what God is doing, nor do I need to. All I need to do is trust Him and obey Him. But you see, that's where our our faith is tested, trusting in the work of God, even though we cannot understand what God is doing. Now, as God begins to unfold His plan to Habakkuk, things only seem to go from bad to worse in the mind of this prophet. This brings us to point number two, the conquerors. God says to Habakkuk, this is what I'm going to do. Look at verse 6. For indeed, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceeds from themselves. This great. That's really encouraging, Habakkuk might have said. But you see, God was working behind the scenes of history. He's raising up these Chaldeans, or a better name, better name for them, or the, the Babylonians, to discipline his people, Israel. The Babylonian Empire would become the prominent uh, empire and, and take the Jews captive. Now, to put it in a way that might you know, give us a better perspective from where we're at, it would be like you and, and I praying, Lord, would you please move in America? God, would you do a worker? How come you're not listening? And God says, for indeed, I'm raising up the Chinese. A bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. For indeed, I'm raising up the Russians. For indeed, I'm raising up, you know, the Iranians, you know, whatever. I think we'd all go, Lord, um, how is that a solution to our problem? (laughs) Lord, that's that's not going to help. Only seems to make matters worse. In fact, the Lord continues to describe these Chaldeans, these Babylonians, coming in. Look at verses 8 to 11. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. 
Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. <laughs> Again, Habakkuk might be saying, and that's real encouraging, God? <laughs> I mean, here he's, he's describing these Babylonians that have no rival. I mean, that their conquests were like ferocious beasts. Their horses are swifter than leopards, we read, more fierce than evening wolves. They all come from violence. There's more hope for stopping the desert wind than for stopping them as they advanced. Verse 9 says they took captives like sand, indicating a number too value, too, too high to, to calculate. It didn't matter if you were a fortified city or not. You were going to be conquered. You were history. They would plow past anyone to the point where the God that they worshipped, we read, was their own military power. They worshipped themselves. I am sure these were not the words that Habakkuk was hoping to hear. That's why God said, you're not going to believe it if I tell you. Yeah, well, God, just try me. I will. Okay, I'm raising up the Babylonian army. They're going to go right through you and destroy you. I don't believe it. I told you you wouldn't believe it. Listen, I know there are times that we can grow frustrated and think that God is indifferent or insensitive to the things that are going on around us. But that's the furthest thing from the truth. God has got a plan. God has got a purpose. And He will see it to fruition. So how are we to respond when we see all these things going on around us? How are we to respond when we see the wickedness of this world and it getting worse and worse? Listen, our priority needs to be the same no matter what. And our priority is Christ. To keep our minds focused on Jesus Christ. Our verse for the year, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Keep your eyes, keep your heart focused on the Lord. We may not understand His ways. As we read, they are, are past finding out. But we can understand the character and the nature and the attributes of God. We can understand that whatever God does, He does for our, own, uh, for, for our own good. He knows what's best for us. He loves mankind. He knows what's best for mankind. And so here we see Habakkuk begin to be living by faith as he turns and he's crying out to the Lord and, and he's describing the attributes of God starting in verse 12. And this brings us to point number three, the comfort. Listen, if you're growing frustrated with things going on around you, it's time to, to look in your Bible at the attributes of God. It's going to take your eyes off of the fear and off of the frustration and onto where they need to be, onto Jesus Christ, and, and that He will bring you comfort. Look at verse 12, as Habakkuk does this, that he says, verse 12, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have appointed them for judgment, O Rock. You have marked them for correction. Let's camp out on this verse for a moment. Understand that this is not a further complaint this is a comfort for Habakkuk. See, he's reminding himself of the attributes of God. He's reminding himself that God is still in control. And he lays out for us four attributes. And the first thing he says that the God is eternal. He says in verse 12, Are you not from everlasting? This was Habakkuk's way of setting his mind on things above. Regardless of what was happening internationally, nationally, locally, or even personally, God is in control. He's reigning over all things. History is following a plan of God that, 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 that God has set in motion before the foundations of the world. And God will bring it to beginning to the end. We saw that in our studies through Revelation. Second attribute we see of God is that God is holy. 
Habakkuk identifies God as the Lord my God, my Holy One. And because God is holy, He can only respond as a holy God. And God is completely righteous and holy. And what He allows, He allows only for the good of those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. Third thing we see is God is almighty. If you have the New King James Version, it says God calls it a rock. In the King James Version, it's it's mighty God. God is almighty, all-powerful, fully able to accomplish the eternal holy purposes. And then number the fourth thing, God is faithful. I think that's the most precious promise of all that we see of God's attributes. Habakkuk declares, O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die, O Lord. How did he know that they would be disciplined and not die? Because God had made unconditional promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would be faithful to them. That out of them would rise a Messiah, one from everlasting to everlasting. Whatever hurt the Babylonians' army might do, the nations would not die. God's faithfulness would see to that. See, Habakkuk looked to the attributes of God and found comfort as his attitude begins to change. He basically declares, I don't have to be frustrated because, verse 12, you have appointed them for judgment. Yeah, my people, they're going to be judged by the Babylonians, but the Babylonians, they're going to be judged as well. So here he begins to live by faith as the attributes of God convince him that, that what was happening in his life was all under God's control and that was ultimately for his benefit. Listen, I know there's times that our world looks like it's out of control, but God is in total control, and we need to remind ourselves of the attributes of God. He's eternal, He's holy, He's almighty, He's our God, and He's faithful. We may not understand what's going on and become frustrated and fearful, but that's when we need to look to the Lord the most and walk in faith, not in fear. So when life frustrates you, you're to walk by faith. But when life scares you, finds you, we're to live by faith. And that brings us to verses 13 through 17. You see, Habakkuk describes now his fear, comparing he and his people to helpless fish about, being, about to be hooked or netted by cruel fishermen. Look at verses 13 through 17. You are pure eyes and to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous then he's asking, why are you allowing this wicked nation to come in and swoop us up? Verse 14. Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no rule over them? They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet because by them their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? So we see here, the hook, the net, the dragnet awaits them. They're helpless fish about to be hooked or netted by cruel fishermen. I mean, think about this. If you were a fish and you had emotions, what would the biggest emotion that you would have be? It would be fear. I mean, what do fish have to be afraid of? Well, you know, either bigger fish is going to eat them as a snack or when you went out to get a snack of your own and you looked at that lovely worm hanging on that, that just floating there in the water, it looks so delicious, and you bite down on it, suddenly you're hooked, you're caught, you're lifted out of its world, thrown down, struggling for its life on some strange shore. That's what Habakkuk is describing here. We're going to be pulled out of what was the norm, pulled out of thought, the way I thought things were going. We're going to be thrown down, things are changing.
You know, talk about someone who's battling with cancer. That happens to their life. They're caught by surprise. Their world is suddenly changed. You know, caught by some other severe trial would similarly describe themselves as thrown down to struggle for life on a strange shore. Life can frighten us. Even when you're walking by faith, looking up at the attributes of God, life can still frighten us. So what are we to do? Continue to keep walking in faith. Living by faith. Getting stronger in your faith. Even if you look squished by a, a, a mousetrap. Don't give up. That's what Habakkuk vows to do. Look now at verse 1 of chapter 2. We're going to look at the first four verses of chapter 2. Then we'll close. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Habakkuk vows, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. So Habakkuk says, I don't understand what's going on. Why you would do this. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and I'm going to set watch in my tower and wait to hear from you and see how I should respond, what I should do. Folks, that's the kind of faith that honors God. That's the kind of faith that clears the wax of the world out of the ears of the inner man and says, Lord, I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you have to say to me. When times get tough, when things look bad on the horizon, again, it's not time to be frustrated in fear. It's time to wait on the Lord. It's time to seek the Lord. To seek his face, to know his heart, and to be willing to say, Lord, if I need correction, as Habakkuk says, then Lord, show me where I need to be corrected. If I have a wrong attitude, a wrong motive, show me where that needs to change in my life. Help me to know what to do. Help me to know what to say. Help me to know where to go. Years ago, we had a song when I first got saved. It's called Wait on the Lord. We used to sing it. We must wait, wait, wait on the Lord. Learn our lessons well, and His timing He will show us what to do, where to go, what to say. And I think that comes by, by waiting on the Lord. Well, Habakkuk is waiting, and now the Lord speaks to him. Look at verses 2 through 4 of chapter 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, Wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. To close this up, the Lord is saying, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, they're going to come down. They are going to take this nation captive. It will happen. Nothing's going to change that. He says, and here's what I want you to do, Habakkuk. Write the vision down. Make it known. Warn the people. It's not going to tarry. Yes, God is going to allow Babylon to judge Israel, but for Habakkuk, he was to continue to live by his faith. Habakkuk is saying, I will battle my fear and frustration with faith. Listen, God is still on the throne. We still need to trust him. Up until this point, Habakkuk was living not by faith, but by sight. He looked around, he saw the violence. He looked around and thought, God isn't doing anything. He looked around and said, what's going on? God said, listen, I'm going to tell you what's going on. The Babylonians are coming. But then he starts to walk by sight again. They're scary people. They're going to destroy us. It doesn't look good. God says, listen, Abby, it doesn't matter. Look to me. doesn't matter what feels right. doesn't matter what doesn't seem right. The just shall live by faith. Or you might say the just will trust. 
And that was a message that God wanted Habakkuk to spread throughout all of Israel. Spread throughout all Israel. Verse 4, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. See, Babylon would come and go, but Israel would remain. And in eternity, the proud Babylonians would be separated from God forever, where God's people would be seated with him forever. Listen, there are times when we must look beyond our enemies, look beyond what's going on in this world, and we must look to our eternity. Habakkuk here began walking, or he began walking by sight in chapter 1, but here in verse 4 of chapter 2, he's starting to walk by faith. Same thing. We look around in our nation, and we, we're, we're, we're walking by sight, but we need to stop. We need to start walking by faith. And yeah, the enemy is getting closer, and things are getting worse, but listen, that only means we're closer to eternity. And remember this. This is the closest this world the non-believers will ever get to heaven. And this is the closest we as believers will ever get to hell. So as you wait, as you and I, we are to look up to God's attributes to know that we're not to live in fear or frustration. The just shall live by trust. And know this. God is going to do whatever is best for us as his people and as for us as a nation uh, whether we understand it or not. You know, my prayer for us as a church that there would be one last revival in our land. One last of people turning from sin and, and people coming to faith in Jesus Christ that they would repent and give their life to the Lord. That the Lord would say to us this morning, I know things look pretty bad, but utterly, but be utterly astounded for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe though it were told you. I pray that that work would be revival, not uh, over being overthrown. Listen, not everything is as it seems. God is working behind the scenes in our world, in our nation, in our lives, personally. And I do pray for revival, but if that is not what the Lord has planned, that doesn't change what we are called to do. To walk by faith and not by sight. I want to close with this story. Susan was three years old, lying in her bed. She opened her eyes to find the stern face of a man peering down at her. As she screamed out in fright, the man quickly shuffled her out of the room. Hearing her daughter scream, Susan's mother ran into the room and held her tightly. Meanwhile, the man's voice could be heard talking to an accomplice on the telephone. He quickly reappeared, snatched Susan out of her mother's arms, ran down the stairs into a waiting car. Susan screamed as the car spread through a town to a large building. Carried to a fourth floor of of an ominous edifice, Susan was placed on a bed and given a shot of a powerful drug. Just before she passed out, Susan looked into the face of yet another stranger. Seconds before, he unsheathed the knife and ripped into her stomach. Give those men a death penalty, we would cry. But wait. The man who tore Susan away from her mother was her father. Aware that her daughter had been groaning all night, the call he made was to a doctor who said, bring her in immediately. The large building was a hospital. The drug was an anesthetic. The knife was a scalpel. And the girl was saved. Things may be looking grim, but know that God is in control. Not everything is as it seems. Habakkuk will close out his book in the beginning of chapter 3 with this prayer. Look at it. Well, I'll just read it to you. He begins in verse 2. O Lord, I have heard your speech, and I was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Lord, I heard what you said. It's going to happen, but I'm going to trust in you. And I'm crying out for mercy. 
And then he closes in verse 18 and 19 of chapter 3. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will join the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me walk on my high heels to the chief physician with my stringed instruments. Habakkuk says, no matter what happens, I'm going to rejoice. Not in my situation. Not not in the sorrowful condition and the temporary punishment. But I'll rejoice in the Lord. I'll find my joy in the God of my salvation. You know, when we face trouble and our first instinct is to be afraid, to be frustrated, stop and think. Hold on to those true things that we know about God. God is eternal. God is holy. God is almighty. God is faithful. He's got a plan for you and a plan for me. And we need to trust Him. And as you do, you will experience a peace that passes understanding, a level, a level of joy High to the skies you commit to the Lord. Keep our eyes on Him. Finally, as we close, you know, things look really bad for our Savior. Jesus, He comes into this world. He heals. He, he brings people to, to back from the dead. He, he gives people to walk. And all of a sudden, He's arrested. He's thrown up on a cross. He's killed. And we go, that's horrible. That's terrible. Why? Well, because from what it looks like on the outside, it looks like a failure. But what that accomplished is salvation in our lives. Our sin forgiven, that we can be born again. We can have the assurance of heaven because Jesus took the penalty on himself. Yeah, it might have looked bad, but Jesus saved us. Same thing happens today. If you don't know the Lord, I encourage you to give your life to him today. Don't wait another moment. And for those of us that do, continue to trust him, continue to be strengthened by him, continue to to walk in faith, and your, your, your faith will grow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that no matter how uh, grim it looks around us, Lord, you have a plan and you have a purpose. And we don't always know what that is, Lord, but we know that you are a God that loves us, a God that is in control, and will take care of, of us, Lord, uh, completely. Lord, that we don't have to fear, we don't have to be frustrated, we just have to walk in faith. Trust in you, God. I do pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again this morning. Lord, would you especially speak to their hearts? Help them to see their need for you, Lord, that they return to you today. Thank you for our time this morning, Lord. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.